From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is A Closer Look with Arthur Levitt. Arthur Levitt is a former chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, a Bloomberg LP board member, a senior advisor to the Promontory Financial Group, and a policy advisor to Goldman Sachs. Commissioner Hester Peirce has spent most of her career in financial regulation and government, serving the SEC as a staff attorney in the Division of Investment Management and working as counsel to Commissioner Paul Atkins. She was senior counselor to Senator Richard Shelby's Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs. At the Mercatus Center at George Mason University, she was a senior research fellow and director of the Financial Markets Working Group. Until just recently, she was just confirmed to serve as an SEC commissioner. She joins me now for a closer look. While serving as counsel to the Banking Committee, Hester, you oversaw the regulatory implementation of the Dodd-Frank Act. And the title of your book is Dodd-Frank, What It Does and Why It's Flawed. So I'd like to start here. Tell us in the big picture, why do you think Dodd-Frank was essentially flawed from the beginning? Sure, Arthur. Well, to kind of take a step uh, back and and look at it, um, as you say, in the big picture, I think what Dodd-Frank did is it it was a bit of a panicked response to the crisis. Um, And, you know, when something as bad as 2007 to 2009 happens, people really cast about and say, what can we do to make sure that nothing as terrible as this happens again? And the first thing that people turn to is they say, well, there should be a government solution here. Uh, And so that's what happened with Dodd-Frank, which is that people put in a number of reforms, most of which rely on government regulation and government regulators to spot and stop um, future financial crises. And the worry that I have is that in in taking that knee-jerk approach and and relying on these regulatory solutions, we really didn't ask the questions about where regulations might have failed in the past and where regulators might have failed in the past. We didn't recognize that human beings are found both in government and on Wall Street. And so we need to find a way to get the incentives right so that people make good decisions. And that, I think, requires more than, than the approach that, that we took. We need to be much more about making sure that people are held accountable for, for the bad decisions they make. Uh, and that isn't really what Dodd-Frank did. It really just tried to centralize decision-making in Washington. And I think that could actually make a future crisis worse 
even though obviously that wasn't the intent of the of the people who wrote Dodd-Frank. Could I substitute Sarbanes-Oxley for Dodd-Frank, and would your response be the same? Uh, I mean, I think certain aspects of Sarbanes-Oxley fit into that category. I think, you know, there have been some good things that have come out of Sarbanes-Oxley and out of Dodd-Frank, but I think in many ways Sarbanes-Oxley also has some of those same problems. Now, you say that rather than a piece-by-piece reassessment of the rules, you'd like to see a shift in perspective from regulator-centric to market incentives. What's an example of that? Instead of trying to run centralized stress tests, for example, you would really make it, you know, let's just focus on, on, on setting a simple capital rule instead of, of having um, regulators running stress tests and having very complicated capital rules. So I guess it would be to have much simpler rules in place that um, the, the line is clearer and then allow individual firms to figure out how they want to achieve compliance with the rule, but don't try to micromanage the way that, that people are complying with a particular rule. What would you say were the Dodd-Frank rules that are working as intended? I think that some of what Dodd-Frank did with respect to the SEC has turned out um, to be good. So, for example, I think trying to um, encourage investor testing is one area which seems very basic, but it was actually fairly hard for the SEC to do investor testing given, given rules pre-Dodd-Frank, and that's something that Dodd-Frank went in and changed. Um, helping the SEC to hear the views of investors is very important. Another area was a whistleblower part of the statute. Even though there are aspects of that I would have written differently had I been writing it, I think it's really important for us to be able to encourage people to come and talk to us when they see something is not going the way it should, when they see violations that they can come to us and that we are actually able to reward people um, for bringing information to us. For those listeners that may not understand, could you explain what investor testing is actually? Sure. So investor testing, the idea is that we do a lot of disclosures with investors in mind at the SEC. But um, one thing that we really need to do is to make sure that the investors who are receiving that information are able to use it. And so we need to really talk to retail investors to understand whether the disclosures that we're designing for them with them in mind are actually um, understandable by them and, and that they are able to glean the information that they need to make their decisions from, from those forms and disclosures. Uh, and so it, it's been in the past, it's been quite difficult to try to reach those people who are actually the end users that we're trying to that we're trying to assist and find out whether or not the disclosures we have are working. And so there there's a provision in the rule in the in Dodd Frank that makes that easier to do. You've written that you'd like to see the SEC have stronger procedures to review the impact of its regulations, and you cite the Volcker rule as an example of the danger of failing to conduct an economic analysis of the new rule. Tell us what you believe is wrong with the Volcker rule. 
Well, one part of it is the process issue that, that you point out in that question. And so because that rule was a multi-agency rule, uh, it, the SEC's economic analysis requirements were not um, complied with in the way they would have been if it were an SEC-only rule. And there was an economic analysis done, but it was done but after the fact. So I think um, some of the complexities and some of the unintended consequences of the rule might have been able to be identified beforehand if there had been a rigorous economic analysis. But in general, I worry that the rule has had potentially bad effects on liquidity. And I know there's been a lot of work on this issue and there have been people who come to different conclusions about, about what the effect is on liquidity. Of course, one of the tests will come when we're in a market, a stressed market, uh, and, I, and I worry about that. Another aspect of the rule that bothers me is the difficulty in getting uniform guidance. So you have, because you have different agencies involved, it's really difficult to do some of the implementation guidance that's typical with rulemaking. And, you know, generally, I think the approach that it, it was a concept that was a relatively straightforward concept, but actually putting it into a rule is a lot more difficult. And so I think we're seeing that in, in the way that the rule uh, has been implemented. In that connection, do you think that financial institutions should be required to hold higher leverage ratios instead of webs of regulations? Yeah, I think that simple higher capital ratio is, is a preferable approach to some of the, as you put it, webs of regulation that we have. Again, simple rules are often give rise to questions about maybe the arbitrariness of the rules, but the beauty of simple rules is that people know what the rules are and they're actually more difficult to gain. And, and so I think there's real merit in looking and seeing whether a simple rule like a leverage ratio might be preferable to, to the more complex capital rules that we have. Obviously, it's a little bit outside of my current purview, but it's something that, that I think it's important that we look at in terms of the stability of the financial system. Do you think that the recent Dodd-Frank reform passed by the Senate is a move in the right direction? Yes, I do generally think it's in the right direction. There, there are additional areas uh, that I hope will get revisited. But um, in my, you know, here at the SEC, I think that I can be involved in some of the implementation decisions, thinking about ways to achieve the objectives of the statute in a way that's as efficient as possible. And so that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. I follow Jeb Henselring's Choice Act fairly closely, and I know that it now has to be reconciled with the Senate Reform Bill. And I see that act as kind of a reform of a lot of stuff that went uh, long before it was taken up. What do you think the outcome of the reconciliation process will be in terms of enduring difference? Oh, well, I think that um, I'm, I'm a pretty bad political prognosticator, so it's hard for me to, to figure out what will come out of that process. Good ideas in the House in terms of trying to further tackle um, access to capital, um, and I hope some of those ideas will be either come out in, in this legislation or that, that we'll be able to work on them here at the SEC. Are you surprised that so much of Dodd-Frank is still in effect with 
all the campaign promises of full repeal? I think it's like anything else, that once something becomes law, it's really difficult to take it out of the law. And that applies, again, at the SEC as well. Once we put a regulation in place, it's really hard to go back and revisit it because, frankly, there are other things to do, right? So there are other things on the agenda, and going back to look and see whether something that you've done in the past is working, is it's difficult to, to focus people's attention on that. So um, I do think looking back after however many years something's been in place and seeing, hey, is this actually working out the way we we intended it is is a valuable exercise, and, and it's something that I hope we'll be able to do some of here while I'm at the SEC. Now, you've written that instead of preventing another crisis, Dodd-Frank rules make it more likely that there'll be a future crisis, which could be even worse. Could you elaborate on that point? Sure. So one of the problems that I see, and again, I, I hope that I'm not right about this because I certainly don't want there to be problems, but by making the system more regulator-centric, as, as I've called it, you do away with some of the heterogeneity in decision-making. And so when there's a problem, everyone is, is running in the same direction and doing the same thing because they're all playing by the same rule book. Whereas if you have more individualized decision-making, the way someone, the, the problems that, that one entity has to deal with in a crisis might be very different than the other, and you might be able to um, moderate some of the problems because you've got different types of decisions going on. So now as we have more homogeneity, I worry that the next liquidity crisis, for example, could be much more severe because everyone is going to be in a very similar position. Uh, another area that I worry about particularly is clearing, derivative clearing. I think that, uh, again, I understand the push for clearing, but I, I think it was done with a little bit of a naive view of what clearinghouses actually could accomplish. Hester, how would you change how the FASOC designates systemically important non-bank institutions? I would eliminate that function of the, of the Financial Stability Oversight Council. I think it's not a bad idea to have a, a group of Washington regulators, and then it also brings in state regulators, um, to come together and talk about the challenges that they're facing as regulators and potential approaches to dealing with those challenges, um, a group that that shares information with one another and um, can help to identify things, but again, that really draws on the expertise of the different regulators um, and, and then facilitates the conversation. The Financial Stability Oversight Council has become more than that. And in, in fact, I think its, it's emphasis on designating particular entities has taken away from, from the core function of bringing regulators together to have these discussions. Uh, it's become quite a distraction. And so what we do when we designate these entities is, again, we, we hand them over to the Fed. So it's, it's more the idea that regulators might have the answers, might be able to direct these institutions in ways that would be, quote, unquote, safer. Um, and I think it also has the unfortunate, unfortunate effect of applying bank-like regulations to entities that are in the capital markets, uh, and, and that's something that's 
a concern to me because I think part of the strength of the U.S. financial system is the fact that we have um, a banking sector that's strong, but we also have a really vibrant capital market sector. Uh, and, and that sector really allows companies um, to access capital in ways that just aren't as possible in other countries. And I think we really need to treasure that and make sure that we don't try to turn everything into a bank. You've commented that the 2008 crisis wasn't caused by too few regulations, but errors in the regulations we had at the time. Uh, which specific regulations do you think might have contributed to the meltdown? Well, I think that one example is the, of course, the regulations around housing finance, I think, um, were part of the problem. And then there are also problems in, in the way that bank capital rules were written that also played a role in in uh, starting and escalating the crisis. Again, I'm glad it, you didn't it, mention Reg FD. <laughs> right. Um, no, I, I'm I'm going to point point most of the blame here at the uh, at the banking regulations and then outside, um, you know, on, on housing finance, which was a problem that had been brewing for many years. Now you've worked with the commission before, but now that you are a full commissioner, what do you hope to accomplish in terms of two major markers of attainment? Well, I mean, I'm I'm. Really thrilled to be here at the time when Chair, Chairman Clayton is um, is chairman and has has a vision for really looking at the agency with a critical eye toward toward trying to address some of the issues um, that are challenges of the day, like um, the the lack of public companies, um, the relative lack of public companies, um, things like cyber here at the SEC. Um, so I look forward to being part of his agenda in, in terms of um, driving some of those things forward. But then I also uh, look forward to having the, the chance to work on the implementation of the derivatives rules, which is an ongoing project at the SEC. And then also I hope to be able to be a voice um, for opening our doors and our eyes to ways that innovation can be helpful in the financial services sector in the capital markets, um, I think that, you know, there's been a lot of attention on some of the SEC's enforcement actions in this area, but I, I, I'm committed also to making sure that, that people who are trying to serve investors with new technologies are able to do so. And, and so I look forward to um, working with people to think about ways that maybe our rules need to be modernized um, and to think about ways that that we can make it possible for um, our rules to, to be flexible enough that they can accommodate these new technologies in ways that will be helpful to investors and to issuers. It's reported that you'd like the SEC to create a regulatory regime for finders in small business capital formation transactions. What's the problem that needs regulation in terms of what you propose? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, uh, so one of the reasons that um, I've raised that issue early in my tenure is it's it's one that consistently uh, I had consistently heard about before coming to the SEC, which is that it's often very difficult for 
entrepreneurs to find capital. Hester, it's reported that you're not a fan of the accredited investor rule. Could you explain why? For me, it's really a question of economic liberty. Um, we need to be very careful about telling people what they can do with their own money. Um, and so certainly as a, uh, as, as, as a reform in this area that would make sense, I think we should at least ask whether sophistication can be measured in ways other than looking at income and, and, and wealth. And so um, I'd love to see a broader understanding written into the rules about what sophistication is and therefore who's able to invest in investments um, that are other that are otherwise held back from them. So for me it really is it comes down to us needing to be extremely careful about substituting our own judgment for that of investors. I think it's it's um, especially problematic in areas like the Midwest where you don't have East Coast salaries, but you still have very sophisticated people. Um, and so the numbers might be different, but you still have very high levels of sophistication. And if we really want to have an entrepreneur culture all across the country, we need to make it possible for people to invest in new enterprises and growing enterprises. During your confirmation, you spoke about reforming the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. That's the industry-funded broker-dealer that the SEC oversees. What reforms do you have in mind? The reform aspect of, of FINRA is a difficult one. So FINRA was is often described as being a self-regulatory organization when, in fact, it's more of a, a quasi-governmental regulatory organization. Its, its board is actually not primarily members of the industry. And so that changes the way that it operates. And, and the, the FINRA has had problems over the years. There have been many complaints um, that it's either not doing a good enough job protecting investors or that it's, well, and probably that it's, that it's um, not doing an effective job at helping actors that are industry members that are really trying to do right by their customers by investors um, in doing what they do. So there are concerns that it's just not effectively achieving its mission. Um, I do think that with Robert Cook in place as the head of FINRA, we're seeing some positive changes. He came in with a real desire to see, to look at the institution. He calls it a 360 review. Um, and then we also have here at the SEC, we have a new office that's dedicated to looking at FINRA. So I'm optimistic that with some of these changes, we'll, we will see some change over at FINRA. Um, but I'm also open to a broader conversation about whether we need to make more fundamental changes. Do you think that self-regulation works in the securities industry? I, I certainly think it can work. I think it's... Um, it, has it worked? Has it worked? Yes. In your yes, I think that it it has worked, but as I say, FINRA is really not that anymore. Um, so, if we want to set it up as a pure self-regulator, we can do that. We we'd have to go back and change the structure, and there are historical reasons for why that structure was changed. Um, but I think an SRO with proper oversight can be a very effective tool in the securities industry. 
with proper oversight is a very important caveat because the SROs tend to drift over to becoming cheerleaders for the industry rather than performing their oversight function. And that's certainly a problem, and you don't want to have a regulator that's not functioning as a regulator. And that's not good for the industry either, because if the self-regulator stops functioning as a regulator, then that can can be harmful for the whole industry. And so we need to set up structures that will that will work to make sure that it's actually working as it as it should. The commission just issued new guidelines calling on public companies to be more forthcoming when disclosing cybersecurity risks. But the two Democrats on the commission are said to be disappointed with what they see as the commission's too limited action. How would you address those concerns? Well, I think that the cyber guidance that we put out was just one aspect of what the chairman the agenda the chairman has laid out in this regard. I think he's spending a lot of time in the area uh, of looking internally at how the SEC is is handling cyber issues, and that is extremely important. So we can the best thing we can do is is to be strong ourselves in cyber uh, protecting protecting the information that we collect um, and making sure that it's handled properly, but. Trying to give companies guidance about how they can handle cyber incidents, which is what that guidance tried to do, is, is also helpful. I mean, this is obviously a developing area where the challenges are multiplying from day to day. Um, we need to give companies guidance, but also the flexibility to handle things in, in a way that's consistent with the facts and circumstances they're facing. Um, another thing that we need to do is make sure that the, the dialogue can be open and that people aren't worried that when they have a conversation with us about a potential problem that they're facing, um, that it's not going to immediately turn into a regulatory action, but that we're all we're all in this together in the sense that we're all trying to address these challenges together. So, you know, in this day and age, it's important for companies to think about cyber incidents and think about how they disclose those incidents, think about uh, rules around trading when incidents have happened. And that's, we were trying to provide some help as they think through those issues with the guidance. Um, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, that the conversation will continue as we all struggle with these issues. She was a former Senate aide and SEC counsel, a senior research fellow at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University and director of the Financial Markets Working Group. Because of her long experience in academia, and public service at the SEC and on Capitol Hill, she's just been confirmed to serve as a commissioner of the Securities and Exchange Commission. Hester Purse, thanks for joining us. By the way, if you have comments about the show or suggestions for topics, you can email me at a closer look at Bloomberg.net. That's a closer look, one word, at Bloomberg.net, and follow me on Twitter at Arthur Levitt one word. This is A Closer Look with Arthur Levitt. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? 
Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.